0: Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor, and each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around if you are curious about learning more about Peace the United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peace thepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peace thepodcast.podbean. PODBEAN Dot com. We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe, and now on to the sacred story reading. Let me offer... This blessing for uh, for the animals and for us. Creator God, who made the giraffe and the elephant, the aardvark and the anteater, we thank you, God, for the animals. You called forth fish in the sea, air, and animals on the land. You inspired St. Francis to call all of them his brothers and sisters. Today we pause to show gratitude for our pets. Some seem to invade our space, some tend to evade our instructions, but they have all found belonging with us. May they be a blessing to our homes. May their love and affection be reminders of divine witness and grace. May our homes feel like a deep dwelling because of their presence. May our pets experience safety and protection under our roof. And as much as possible, may they too know they are loved. And may our lives be ever more patient, kind, faithful, peaceful, and hopeful because we love and have been loved by one of God's special creatures. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we sang that song at conference more in a calmer, hymn-like way as we prepared to go to the table and receive the elements. Um, And it was a really beautiful time of of gathering together at conference as as all these people from the, the multitude of churches in Minnesota to come together and to to share in the Lord's Supper uh, together. It was such a beautiful, beautiful time of connection. And so when I saw this was on Dave's list, I knew it was the song I wanted to highlight. And uh, I also thought, man, there's so many possibilities of where to go with this one, because there's so many tables that get talked about in Scripture, so many opportunities to to highlight it. Um, and so I have a, a story that we're going to read. It's a parable that Jesus gave in the book of Luke, chapter 14, But before we get to it, I wanted to tell you a little bit about my night last night. Because I got to sing music with a 65,000-person choir. Um, Were you there, too? Oh, my gosh. So apparently we were both in the auditorium in the U.S. Bank Stadium for the Taylor Swift concert. Um, And uh, and so, yeah, you know, I had a friend earlier this week, another pastor uh, down in Burnsville. We were out for lunch. Um and I was telling this group about the, the sermon series that we're in. And then I also had mentioned that I'm going to see Taylor Swift. She's like, Oh, are you doing a Taylor Swift song that Sunday? And I was like, No. What's wrong with me? Um, why didn't I and then she could not unshake shake it off and then told the story about how Jesus instructed the disciples to shake the, the dust off their feet when they left the town that didn't accept them? And I was like, Okay, why don't you just come and just do the sermon? Like, that'd be great. Um, but no, it was a really fun moment. The the thing about it that was Beautiful and disturbing at the same time was how passionate Swifties are for Taylor Swift. It was unbelievable to watch this woman stand in the middle of an auditorium and be in full control of 64,000 people. She would point and that section would scream to the point where my ears started blowing. And then point to that section and the same thing would happen. And then that section and the same thing would happen. And then she would stand there and she would raise an eyebrow and the whole place would freak out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I think people would pay $100 just to have her stand in the middle of an auditorium and do no singing. Um, My wife goes, yeah, probably. I think that's what would happen. Uh, it It was just fascinating to watch. And I'll be honest, we were sitting really high up and I think the sound all caught right there because I still have ringing in my ears from how loud it was. Should have worn the, the little earplugs that my wife offered, but I said no for some stupid reason. And um, so my ears are ringing. I think the thing about Taylor Swift is that she tells the story that people are experiencing. She tells the story that young people are experiencing. She, put wor- she puts words to what they're going through, the emotions that they feel, the heartbreak that they feel, the need to be empowered that they feel. She put words. She puts words to these things, and it gives people momentum and confidence. It gives people room to mourn. It gives people room to feel like they can take the next step. There's something really powerful about what she's doing. Uh, that's really, really impressive. And and what was really fascinating is as I was sitting here listening to the songs that Dave chose, the songs that Dave chose are doing the same thing. They're putting words to the experiences that we have but they're doing it a little differently. Taylor's trying to be kind of a representative of people. She's kind of saying, here's my story, and it's your story. And what the songs that we're singing are is it's God saying, I'm in this with you. Like, I'm not going to try to pretend to be you, but I'm in this with you. I'm weeping with you. My heart is broken with you. There's a connection that God desires, and there's an invitation that God has for us to have a place at the table, to be known, to be recognized, to be comfortable, to be safe, to belong. There's something so powerful about the withness of God, and we keep coming back to that theme throughout this series, but it's so true that God is a God who is with us in the midst of the hardest stuff. And so as Jesus was walking in the first century and teaching people and doing healing ministries, he would find himself at these tables with people. And it was often with powerful people, Pharisees, those that were in charge of all the rules and the religious ways of doing things. And he would try to jar them out of what they understood to be kind of the natural order of things or the way things they thought they should be. And so he would tell these things called parables. And when we read parables, sometimes they seem pretty straightforward and obvious to us. But the nature of a parable, a good parable, was to be doing something to disrupt the societal understanding at the time, to mess with it a little bit. And so when we read a parable, we have to ask the question, what's Jesus disrupting here? So that's what I want you to hold in mind as you read this parable from Jesus from Luke chapter 14 is, what is he disrupting? This is from Luke 14, verse 15 through 24. And you're probably wondering what the that is referring to. That triggered a response from one of the guests. I'm going to get to the that in a minute. Okay, we're going to start at the end and work our way back. We're going to go backwards in time as we go through this sermon. So that triggered a response from one of the guests. How fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. Jesus followed up, and this is the parable. Yes, for there there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant to the invited guest saying, come on in, the food's on the table. Then they all began to beg off one after the other, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and need to go look it over. Send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five teams of oxen and I really need to check them out. Send my regrets. And another said, I just got married and need to get home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant, quickly, get out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal, All the misfits and homeless and down and out, you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back. Master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The master said, then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. So what is Jesus disrupting? Now, he's talking to a group of prominent Pharisees who are the arbiters of the rules. They're the ones that control who gets invited to the dinner party and who doesn't. And that group is exclusive. Those dinner parties are small. It's not meant to be for everyone. You've got to be so ritualistically clean that you have to follow 610odd rules in order to show up and eat dinner meal. So your common person, your person out in the street, your person who's got a disease or finds themselves homeless or destitute or sick, they're not invited. they're unclean. They can't possibly enter into the house. They can't participate. And yet in this parable, we see the one hosting the dinner saying, you don't got time to eat the dinner with me that I've prepared? Okay, watch who's coming. Watch who gets invited. And then when there's still more seats at the table because everybody that they, that they went and found, there was still more, the, 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 the one hosting dinner is like, go get whoever you can because this needs to fill up. Because at that time in the first century, everybody thought there was a limit to grace, that there was a limit to the invitation, that there was only a select few who would get invited to the dinner, that there was only a handful who were the chosen. And yet here's a story of plenty. Here's a story of an expanding table, a table of inclusion, a table that keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's Christ telling us, the way you think it is, is actually the opposite. The exclusion that you want to have is reversed by the inclusion of love, the inclusion of grace, the inclusion of forgiveness, the inclusion of hospitality. So if we go back a little bit to figure out how did we get here, what we're going to see is I'm going to point out three different tables. The first one is the table of fruit. Earlier in Luke chapter 13, Jesus is interacting with his people and he's going through the towns and he's doing miracles and he's casting out demons. And at one point, he's addressing the people and he's saying, you've got it all backwards. You think you know what you're doing, but there's no evidence that you are living this way. You're calling yourselves holy. You're calling yourselves the chosen. And yet I can't see anything that you're doing. Where is this justice? Where is this love? Where is this grace? I don't see it anywhere. And that's when we get to chapter 14. And that's the second table, the table of humility. And in Luke chapter 14, the beginning of it in verses 7 through 14, Jesus is invited to this dinner with these prominent Pharisees, the one that he's going to give the parable to. And at the dinner, they're all excited to be there. And there's all these people clamoring for his attention. And when they get there, they all rush to the prominent seat next to Jesus because they want to be around new up-and-coming rabbi who's doing all these amazing things. And so they all rush to the prominent seat at the table, and Jesus backs up and says, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. When you go to a dinner, don't assume you're the most important person invited. Instead, expect everyone else to be more important than you sit at the end of the table, and then when the host of the meal sees your humility, sees your willingness to place yourself as far away from prominence as possible, the host will then call you forward to sit at the most prominent seat. This is a table of humility. The trouble is that all these Pharisees assume he's talking about them sitting at the end of the table. They're all like, well, I must be the, I must be the one. I must be the one that was so humble that Jesus is telling the story about me. And that's where we get that triggered a response from one of the guests. How fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. So this person still hasn't gotten it. Jesus is saying, there's no evidence of your faith. There's no evidence of your grace. You are running around persecuting people. You're keeping them from the table. There's no fruit for who you are. There's no fruit of justice. There's no fruit of love. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And then you're all clamoring to the head of the table as if you're all the most important person. You're excluding everyone else. You're keeping this table small. And now I have to tell you a story because this is a table of invitation. It's a table of radical invitation. We need to create tables of invitation. That's what Christ is calling us to. Tables of fruit, tables of humility, and tables of invitation. Tables of fruit, tables of humility, and tables of invitation. I wasn't sure if I wanted to share this in this space or not, but I think it wraps up this idea of fruit, humility, and invitation well, even though it's new and kind of raw at the moment. As some of you know, we've had some interesting interaction with our Little Free Library. We put the Little Free Library up a little over a month ago now, and in the span of a few weeks, it's been emptied three times. The first time was within the first week, and the books ended up in a ditch down the road. And then some good Samaritan saw these books in the road, stopped by, opened up the cover, saw that it was stamped with a little free library from Peace UMC, and brought them all back. And and, and actually, we were all sitting around the table doing our Men's Connection lunch, and some guy walked in we never knew, and he's like, I got a whole bunch of books in my, my truck. Uh, I think they're yours. And we went out and looked, and sure enough, there's no books out there, and they're all in his, in his seat of his car. And we were like, well, thank you. So we put them all back. And then about two weeks later, they were empty again, and they ended up at the ranch outside of Bob Cole's auto ranch. And so Amanda brought them back after connecting with Bob, and so we refilled it. It was at that point that we were uh, saying, okay, there's something going on here. And so we, uh, the trustees moved one of the cameras that we have outside of our building over the uh, Little Free Library. And we made the decision to not post any sign that says, this place is under surveillance. And we did that very intentionally. The goal of the Little Free Library was to put books that tell stories for marginalized communities in our community. We wanted stories for the LGBTQIA+. We wanted stories about racial reconciliation, about creation care. We wanted stories that might not be in every library, to be in ours. And so for a young person who may be questioning their sexuality and their gender and not maybe figuring out who they are and trying to figure out language for it, and maybe they're at a point where they're not ready to include voices of authority into that conversation, we didn't want to put a sign out that says, this area under surveillance, and to have some young person go, Ooh, shoot. I was hoping to get a book that might help me, but now that I might be observed doing that, I'm not going to go there. And so we didn't post a sign, but we do have a camera, and it only picks up when there's motion, and we're only going to check it when there's an issue. Well, last Wednesday, there was an issue. We once again had an empty uh, little library, and we thought that was odd because it was full. And so... Um, I asked Tom if he would take a look at the, the camera and see if there was any odd behavior. And sure enough, there was a car that drove up. Um, a woman got out and took all the books and threw them in her back seat and then took off. And we don't know anything about this person. We don't know where they came from. It was, we couldn't pick up a license plate. We couldn't, really, we couldn't really read what was on the shirt. We have no idea. And so the question was, what do we do? How do we respond to this? There's a question about whether there's any legal action that can be done, being that it's a free little library and everything in there is a gift to our community. So anyone can come along and take as many books as they want. But we also know that this probably isn't done with the best of intentions. And so the question is, how do we respond? And we all slept on it for the night. And then um, I woke up and said, I emailed the group of people and said, I think I'm going to write a letter and address it to the woman in the Navy Ford Edge. And so, if you look out there there's an envelope that says to the woman in the Navy Ford Edge. And this is what I wrote to her. I sincerely hope this finds you doing well and enjoying a wonderful summer day. As you can s- assume from how we are addressing you, we have a video of you taking the books from our little free library. But why? In my most optimistic dreams, I imagine you giving them to neighborhood kids or families or bringing them to underprivileged areas of our city where books are harder to come by. I want to imagine that you are trusting that we will simply be able to replace the books and keep good stories and important works available to our community. How wonderful if this is the case. My fear is that these are not the reasons you have taken the books. Would you like to grab coffee with me? And then in parentheses, I wrote, hey, you didn't see that question coming. That was meant to be funny. None of you laughed, okay. I was trying to bring a little humor to the moment. Jesus had a way of sharing a meal with everyone. He sat around tables with his most trusted disciples, Mary and Martha, prominent Pharisees, as well as tax collectors and those labeled as sinners. I imagine that we both would like to think of ourselves as disciples of Jesus. And if we gather together around a table, maybe one with coffee or tea, as disciples gathered in the name of Christ, he would be with us. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. Also, as disciples of Jesus, I would like to connect with you directly for two biblical reasons. In Matthew eighteen fifteen, we are instructed to go directly to the person who has done harm. Only after attempting to do so should we go to a higher authority. And secondly, I was encouraged to take the video to the authorities, but I would like to believe that this is something we can resolve together as we're called to do in 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 5. I recognize that we might not agree on the same theology or how to specifically interpret every passage of Scripture. My hope is not to change your beliefs. My hope is that we can find a place where loving one's neighbor means not causing pain when a conversation is welcomed. I'm inviting you to a table. Sincerely, in love of Christ, Jason pastor. My hope is that she reads the letter. My hope is that my phone rings. My hope is that I get a text message. We get a knock on the door. That would be my hope. I don't know if that will happen. I have very, very little percentage hope that that will happen. I hope that no one takes the books anymore. I hope I can take that letter away and not will happen again, but but in the face of seeming cruelty, in the face of someone making choices that we don't agree with, I think we have a question to wrestle with. What are we going to do when things don't go the way we want? We might want to bark. We might want to wrestle it out. We might want to get a little angry. Here's the thing about emotions. Emotions are fine. Every time that library gets emptied, it causes an emotion in me. It causes frustration, it causes a little sadness. Like, why is it like this? Why does this and and, and I and I truly do want to believe that someone does that because they're thinking that they're doing the right thing for what they think community and the body of Christ should look like. And so I wanna say, okay, I get that that's what you think is the right thing, but. But that's not, that's not the way. That's not how we do this. And the temptation in that anger and that sadness is to, and this is the way I explained it to my, my son when we were talking about this, because he was like, Dad, that's a hate crime. Go to the authorities. And I was like, good reaction. Appreciate the energy. Let's talk about it. Because the history of humanity is to have a bad guy And then the way to conquer a bad guy is to get a bigger bad guy. So we have someone who's acting towards us in an unkind way. It would be easy to get a bigger bad guy, but that's not going to change anyone's heart. That's not going to transform the conversation into one of grace. It's only going to make that person want to find another bad guy or a larger bad guy. And that's not helping us move forward. So the anger is real, the sadness is real, and we don't discount those. But then the question is, what do those energize us to do? And my hope is that we find space at a table. And if we're not ready to be at the table, then don't invite to the table. Just wait. As the song God Weeps calls us to, that God will wait until we're ready to be Christ-like. So we wait until we're ready to sit at the table and to be hospitable and full of grace, to be humble enough to learn and willing to try to find connection so that we can move forward in community because i want to believe that someone with a heart that is trying to do something that they think is right can also see the humanity of other people who need to be seen with dignity and respect because that's ultimately what we're trying to do is say that every person is worthy of love every person is worthy of dignity and respect every person is a child of God who is moving towards Christ-likeness. And we may disagree about certain verses of the Bible, but we can agree that loving one's neighbor is how we love God. So may we have tables, tables of fruit where we do justice, we do love, we do mercy. May we have tables of humility where we don't seek to be the most powerful person in the room or at the table or to be at the head, but we recognize that we just need to show up. And may we have tables of invitation where we're willing to sit, to learn, to listen, to seek understanding, to hopefully see the Spirit move all of us towards transformation. Let's pray. God of grace, God of hope, God of the table. May you be with us. We're grateful for the energy of anger, but guard us, God, from that energy moving us into a place of harming others. God, we are grateful that even though we don't like it, we're grateful that we have tears when we experience sadness. But may that sadness not move us to bitterness, but move us towards understanding. God, we are grateful that you have modeled to us in the face of pain, in the face of a cross, that you are a God who shows up at tables, who is inviting and including and expanding the table. May we be people who build bigger tables, not taller walls. the name of Christ we pray. Amen. May you go building tables that offer good fruit to the world. May you go building tables that are tables of humility, and may you go building tables of invitation, because all are welcome here. Go in grace, go in peace. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace the Podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peace the podcast.podbean.com. Again, peace the podcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have. Peace.